if I really dive into it from a psychology point of view, there's this thing about being overly responsible for things. You know, I'm the oldest daughter. My mom was 17 when she had me and I financially support her, financially support my um, Mark's mom. And I feel, I feel responsible for things and I feel like no one else is going to do this. And so I'm going to be the one. And that doesn't always mean it's the smartest thing financially sometimes, but it's, it's, it's kind of fun. Like, I don't know, it's fun being the one. Welcome back to the Joy, Color, Impact, and Dogs podcast. Thanks for joining us today. I am super stoked today because this is our first ever Visionaries episode. And there is only one person I thought of when I imagined kicking off this series of change makers, entrepreneurs, incredible role models. There was only one person I thought of because the very first person I interviewed for my last podcast and the person I chose to be the keynote at my conference a few years ago and the person I asked to kick off the interviews in this show, they're all the same person. And I'm going to tell you why. Denise Duffield Thomas is, she's a cool kid. She's really a wonderful human being, but she's super inspirational for thousands and thousands of people. What she focuses on is money mindset. And when I found her, it was at a time when I didn't know the words or the language for what money mindset is. I just knew I had some damage and some patterns that I wanted to undo and rewrite and some big goals that I wanted to achieve. And through reading her book, Get Rich, Lucky Bitch, way back in like, I think it was 2014 maybe, I was able to find language for these things that I felt um, and that I didn't know other people felt and processes, really practical things to do to overcome these beliefs and patterns. And it fundamentally changed my life and business. And eventually I went and bought her course because I had worked through her book so many times. I was like, I got to pay this woman more than the $14.99 or whatever it was to buy her book. But she's an incredible inspiration. And Everywhere you go, you meet people who have read her book or done her program and absolutely transform their financial situation. So it's a great legacy that she's leaving, but she's also a really wonderful human being. She is an unconventional mom. She is a great philanthropist. And today we are not going to be talking to her really about money mindset. These visionary episodes are not really here to talk so much about the work or the change that these visionaries are engaged in. It's more to get to know them. And more specifically, we're going to talk about what brings them joy, what is the positive impact they're focused on, what are the challenges they're facing now. And in the episode today with Denise, we're diving into those things and, of course, dogs, motherhood, ADHD, paperwork and adulting, and real estate, and really understanding what Denise is up to, what are the highlights and challenges of life for her now being a millionaire and a successful entrepreneur and trying to revitalize a community with some property purchases, and being at a stage of changing her mind and making new decisions about who she is and what she does. Um, so it's a really wonderful sneak peek into the real world, the real life of Denise Duffield Thomas. And it was a joy and an honor to have this conversation. We had a lot of fun. <laughs> and you'll see this episode is broken into two parts. So this is the first one and the next one will be available in just a couple of days to give you some time to ponder it all. So please enjoy, and without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Denise Duffield-Thomas. Hey Denise, how are you doing? I'm good. All right, give me the real story. What's actually going on in your life right now? It's what, oh, like 7 a.m. there? Yes, 7 a.m. 
first call of the year so it's like all everything's packed away microphones and headphones and hubby's I was um I went to jump in the shower and I said hubby sort out your office so I can have my call in there and then I come down I'm like what's <laughs> kids yelling the dogs the dogs everything's happening it's all fun and here we are <laughs> Yeah. I was just saying to you, I was like racing through bedtime trying to like, and of course my husband's like, I've got badminton. I'm like, I've got a podcast. So like, can I leave the kids in the house and go out to the office and like, it'll be fine. Like this is real life. (laughs) Fine. So, um, the way I like to really start these conversations is by asking you what in your life right now is bringing you the most joy. Okay, not today. <laughs> yeah, not today yet. Um, I mean, I I have pockets of joy in the madness at the moment. I mean, there's a lot there's a lot going on in my life, but my doggies always bring me joy. They they're really for that, aren't they? Yes, they do, and um, they're going to doggy daycare every day at the moment because we're, you know, doing a lot of stuff, and um, I miss them, and um, so Albie's three and Daisy's two and they're just their personality just getting better and better it's really great it's so funny to me because you and I having this conversation would never talk about our kids like this we'd never be like um Emmy's two and she's just starting to talk like never (laughs) well people ask me all the time how old my kids are and I'm like um Um, let me do some math I was pregnant in Brilliant. So I remember when you got Albie and I was like, yes, she's coming to the dark side dogs. And then I didn't even know that you got Daisy. So what was the reason for jumping from no dogs to one dog and one dog to two dogs? It was actually my youngest. Every time we would take her out from, from when she could really, from when she could wave, she would wave at animals and she would especially wave at dogs. And she was so excited whenever she saw any animal. And I remember one time she was like, hi, to this moth. <laughs> like, she was like, hi, hi. You're the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And um, just from her stroller, she'd just be like, oh, my God. And so um, a friend of ours got a cavoodle. And um, she was just, she just lit up. And we ran, we, um you know, decided to get Albie and in the little space between, you know, when you kind of, you're waiting for them to arrive, we took our family around to go see this other friend's cavoodle. And my son had such a strong, horrible reaction. Like he was, and this is like this tiny, fluffy little puppy. And he was screaming and like climbing the walls, trying to get away from this dog. And I just thought, oh my God, what have we done? And um, luckily it it turned out really great. And Albie just has this, just such a beautiful, gentle, gorgeous personality. And then we just decided, you know, get a dog for your dog. (laughs) They have a friend, even, even though we work from home, so we're home all the time, you know, you can't necessarily be with your your dog 24 seven, especially if you're doing calls and things like that. And so we just thought, oh, well, let's get him a little friend. And because also he was going to doggy daycare with this dog from, a couple of doors down and I remember we were at a cafe and the dogs were like oh hi, hi, hi. and this person was like how do you know my dog because I was like oh it's Byron and he was like <laughs> my dog and I was like they're school friends and then <laughs> I thought oh no we have to get we have to get him a dog so yeah and then then Willow was like well let's get a dog for Daisy too let's get a dog for our dog's dog and I was like no I think we're we have good. got to draw a line somewhere <laughs> three kids barely two dogs three no (laughs) seems like Mm -hmm. a lot Mm -hmm. okay so business there's the whole like business part of life which is something you've gotten really good at and then there's life dogs kids the madness there's also this other thing in your life that is this little property empire that you're building. Yeah. When I was recently visiting you in Australia, one of our mutual friends was talking about your little monopoly board of property, which I thought was so funny. But I know this comes from 
I think two places. One is this incredible creative genius that's in you and just wants to create and design and curate and build. What else is driving this? Obviously, it's a great investment, but um, what else is driving this strong desire to take crumbling buildings and turn them into something beautiful? I, I don't know. I think there's definitely some security stuff around wanting security, but also because we moved around so much. But also I still get massively itchy feet. And so I'm not the kind of person who's like, oh, this is my home forever now. I've got real commitment issues, I think, around property. But I was actually reflecting on it today because we're looking at a property at the moment. And my first property I bought when I was 25, it was, you know, like this tiny little flat in London. And it was only because... It was pre-financial crisis. The banks were offering 104 loan-to-value mortgages. What? Yes, 104, (laughs) which means they gave you money. They gave you a house and then they gave you money on top of it to furnish the house. And it was still, you had to still pay a £1,000 for closing costs. And Mark and I borrowed it off his mom to be able to buy our first property. Um, so if I was 25, he must have been 22, right? 21, 22. So I don't know if it was like I wasn't ever really taught anything about money or finances or investments. I think it just felt like, oh, cool, this is a milestone. And then this is a milestone. I mean, I've, I own, I think, 11 properties now. And I've probably bought and sold quite a few more since then. So I don't, I don't know if it's driven by any particular, like, smart it's not necessarily because I'm like oh I'm so smart with my finances it's just more I think um says the money mindset queen (laughs) but doesn't mean that I'm you know like I'm not a financial advisor right I still make a lot of emotional purchases and one of them was the the um, one of the most recent properties I bought which is an old bank you know a, a bank from the 1920s I wanted to ask you about the bank what's going on with the bank the person who bought it, she bought it in the 90s. She bought it at auction and it was a bank that she turned into, um, well, it already had a residence because back in the olden days, the bank manager would live Obviously. at the bank. <laughs> um, and so she lived at the back and they had an antique store at the front. Um, and so we bought it at auction um, last year and um, part of the negotiation was that she would continue to live in it for about six months. So that ends in March. Um, and when she leaves, we're, we're going to reno- renovate it, um, you know, because it's got like 90s era carpet and walls and ceilings. And nice. stuff like that. It just needs a, it needs a cosmetic reno. And I love that creative side of it, but I'm really lucky that my best friend is a designer. She's an interior designer. So when it comes to colour, I don't always trust my eye because I... I can't always discern the differences between, you know, 50 shades of white, for example. (laughs) So she's taught me a lot about color, about style, about even just loving little details. And I still don't always know the names for things. You know, I'm always like that thingy, you know, the thing. And I can't draw either. So (laughs) luckily we've got. So it's like charades. (laughs) Yeah, it is like charades, but we've got a little bit of a shorthand now. So um, yeah, we'll be working on that project from about March, which will be really fun. But yeah, I just, I think I just love, I love making things over, but I think it's more, if I really dive into it from a psychology point of view, there's this thing about being overly responsible for things. You know, I'm the oldest daughter. My mom was 17 when she had me and I financially support her, financially support my mom, um, Mark's mom. And I feel responsible for things. And I feel like no one else is going to do this. And so I'm going to be the one. And that doesn't always mean it's the smartest thing financially sometimes. But it's kind of fun. Like, I don't know, it's fun being the one, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So the Rose Farm was like, was this the first big project that you took on in terms of a massive remodel aside from building your home? Yeah, I think so. We've done like little cosmetic renos where it's just like, you know, like apartments and things, right? Yeah, we've done that. We've done that quite a few times. But um, the Rose Farm was a really interesting thing. And actually, we're getting a magazine cover really soon. So I don't know when this is coming out, but 
um, I just started reading this beautiful magazine called Country Style magazine when I was pregnant with um, my third baby. And I was really trying to give myself, I was calling it my sababical. Um, I, really, <laughs> I was really trying to not use that time to do a lot of work projects. And so I was reading this beautiful magazine, just trying to, I don't know, just calm my nervous system down and just read about these beautiful little old houses and people renovating things. And um, I was thinking, who are these people who just fall in love with this, you know, rundown property in the country? <laughs> and we were already building our dream house by the ocean at that stage. And I just said to Mark, let's just go and have a look. And I started a Pinterest board. And I do think, you know, in terms of manifesting, things like that are so powerful. When you start a Pinterest board, when you start to um, create a container for your dreams from a manifesting point of view, it's so powerful. So um, I saw this property and I was like literally like nine months pregnant and I went, you know what? No, it's not the right time. And it came up again with a different agent when Piper was six months, six weeks old. And I just said, let's just go and have a look. And I it's like there. going to look at a puppy, isn't it? Like, you know, you know, you know what's happening when you go look. Absolutely. And so as soon as my feet hit the land, I just went, oh, and Mark was like, oh, because he just, <laughs> he knew he too. Could see it. Yeah, he could see it in my face. And it wasn't run down. It was just, uh, it's just a big project. And, you know, you've been there yourself. Everything needed something. And so for the last, you know, four years, a lot of my profit has gone into that property of, and just things too, that are so grown up things like putting like the, the power lines, the unsatisfying the stuff that you can't see, you can't, you can't see. style, <laughs> you can't see, but you, you don't consciously notice the absence of power lines, but you kind of do in your heart. <laughs> this sounds like a story you're telling yourself to make that investment a little easier to swallow. <laughs> sure. And it's, the same with things like the, the water tanks and like the poo tanks and stuff like that. That's all underground, you know, and you just go, you don't go, oh, this, oh, look at the lack of water tanks. Look at the lack of <laughs> power lines here. But, um, and so that was a really big shift for me too. And this is why, again, having a, a best friend, Naomi Findlay, I should just mention her name. She, nothing like that is ever an issue for her she's like oh we'll just get a um excavator and we'll just you just hire a thing and you just do the thing and none of that bothers her at all and so I'll go to the farm and I'll go oh wouldn't it be nice if we did blah 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 and then she's like she's booked the excavator in her head and she's just made it happen amazing and I think I had to really go through like a sense of one am I allowed to do stuff like this like, am I allowed to choose to move things? Am I allowed to choose to take down trees that are in non-ideal positions? So I, I had to, like, really get through a place of, like, ownership around it and then getting over the thing of, um, wow, this is really inconvenient and takes a lot of effort. And she's just like, no, you just pay someone to do it and you do it. And it's just like a really, I don't know, just a whole grown-up thing of ownership of land. And responsibility that was very interesting mm -hmm. and now that it is so beautiful and you've welcomed lots of guests and had some beautiful events there how are you feeling about when you think about your original vision how are you think about do you feel like that vision is realized what's missing what has exceeded your expectations about what the rose farm could be well the house has absolutely being transformed into something that for me is so satisfying and just you know so beautiful the thing that's been really frustrating is my original vision was you know let's do weddings here and yeah, I'm sure such anyone, a good wedding venue amazing wedding venue right and I've had three years of red tape bureaucracy roadblocks literally problems with the roads like there's been so many things and for me that's so frustrating right I've worked for myself for a long time freedom and independence is my highest value 
And to have a like a pencil pusher say, this is the rule. And all of the rules seem to be contradictory to me and and incredibly like, I'm just like, <laughs> welcome to the country. <laughs> you know, that's been really frustrating because I'm used to just kind of making things happen myself and not having to really follow any rules at all. Um, and so that's been incredibly frustrating. And also because we, um, you know, there's been the pandemic too. And so I've had to really focus on my business because I'm like, I have to fund that somehow, right? So I couldn't even really get that much personally involved in the in the red tape and paperwork. And also I have ADHD and I, I find all that stuff really, really difficult. Um, and so it was, um, yeah, just that's been a really frustrating process. But whenever I go out there, I just go, oh my God, this was so worth it. This is so worth it for our family. This is so worth it to bring beautiful people like yourself into the space. It's just frustrating that I can't um, seem to, you know, get through the red tape stuff yet. Mm. Mm, reality, such a bitch. <laughs> such a bitch. And, you know, I think this year I'm going to have a little bit more bandwidth. I feel like I have to get a bit more personally involved with the council, but it just, paperwork scares me so much. Oh, and the worst. You should see these applications because it's like, you know, section 5.2.A. And I'm like, <laughs> just do it. That brings back like a uh, visa PTSD for me of these like fat visa applications of unbelievable detail. Not fun. Yeah, not no. fun at all. That is not a visionary's dream come true for sure. No, okay. but I, I do think I need to put some manifesting energy into it. I feel like um, I think once I do, and it's the same with the bank, you know, we will have to find a really nice tenant for the bank and things like that. I think when I put my attention to something, it usually manifests itself pretty quickly. I just have a lot of split focuses in the last couple of years, which is why I'm so grateful for having someone like Naomi in my life, but also Mark too. Mark is just great at logistics and paperwork and, you know, he's like a dog with a bone, whereas I'm in that, I'm just like, well, I'll just make the money. And then you <laughs> do whatever you need but cool we need that money I'll go find the money it's all good <laughs> which is an amazing skill to have honestly let's talk about super dads for a second because um this is something I really resonate with and my husband like your husband is like the best dad and totally on the PTA and knows all the kids at Resident school amazing PTA. not just on the PTA so in that that dynamic in your life, having super dad, what does that enable you to do? What is that like? What does that feel like? What does that look like for you? Because the thing that continually surprises me, because I'm not, I would say I'm a I'm a good mom, but I'm not someone who aspires to do motherhood as a job, and I've never been someone who could spend much time with my kids without losing my mind because I'm highly sensitive, and the noise and the movement and all that stuff. It just you know, there's this regulation I have to do that really I struggle oftentimes to be present because of that nervous system regulation so enter the super dad who like any day any time can just take it on but when I've had these conversations with a lot of women especially when I've gone on these trips and these women are like you know I just don't know if I can if I could you know leave for a whole week and I'm like dream dream come true goodbye <laughs> Like, I feel like you and I don't really have that guilt around, like, not being, I don't know, whatever either society says we should be as mothers or what we feel internally a guilt trip to be. What does motherhood look like for you, knowing that you have this man in your life who is your life partner, who is a great dad, and also, obviously, you've got this business that you're the primary breadwinner for? Yeah, well, I'm totally with you, and I think it is refreshing to hear other people talk about it. Because, um, you know, business and creating my own destiny has always just been something that's super important to me. And Mark and I got together very young and I was very clear with him on that too. I was like, you know, this is this is where I'm going. This is what's, you know, important for me. And we got married, I, think I was like 30. And, you know, we kept on having these conversations of like, when are we going to have kids? And I kept on going, I just don't know, dude, because I'm not where I want to be yet. And I know that I am not going to have kids until I have made some money because I was just, you know, growing up 
seeing that lack of independence is really traumatizing. And I was just very clear that this is just not going to happen. And so we had our first kid when I was 33 and my business was, um, I think maybe about the half a million dollar mark. So I was like pretty, you know, pretty stoked about that. And I just kind of kept on, no, I actually might have even been at the million dollar mark by that stage, you know, close to it. But I, I was very adamant again. I was like, dude, I can't have a second kid if you were in a nine to five job. And I was just very clear on that. I was like, I can't do it. And by that stage, I think my business was at the million dollar mark. And I remember Mark sort of going, well, I can't quit my job. What would I tell people that I do? Hmm. And that was a really big deal for him. He, he hmm. loved his career. He didn't love his job so much. He was in, um, he worked for soccer teams, right? So he worked for Man United Football Club and then he worked for the Jets here in Australia. And it's one of those dream jobs on the outside, but still it's, you know, it's a job. A job. And, yeah. And actually he... Um, the company that he worked for, they owned a football and a soccer team. So that meant there's no off season because they have opposite seasons. And so I remember when we were going, okay, so if we're going to have another baby, we should try like at this time because, you know, but then we're like, well, the Jets aren't doing that. That totally works. Yeah. Well, well, it actually did. I conceived on the exact day, all three babies, but anyway. Wow. Good for you. Yeah. Virgo control freak, I reckon. But, <laughs> but honestly, we was we were going. When are we going to conceive? Because when is championships kind of season? But then we're all like, the Jets aren't doing that great, so they're probably not going to make it to the semi. <laughs> whatever. So there might be a safe window. And I just went, this kind of sucks. And I'll tell you the moment that killed it for me. I um, was doing a retreat in Bali. Um, I did a couple of retreats and with one of them, my mom came to look after Willow, who was probably about a year, year and a half-ish. And the second one, I, my mom wasn't available. And I said, Mark, why don't you come and you look after Willow and I'll do the retreat and it will be great. And he literally had to do calls the whole time he was there. And the retreat finished at five. We were on a plane at like nine or 10 because he had to be at work the next morning. Wow. Jesus. And, yeah. And he was, and like, this was just like, you know, a six figure job and I was already earning, you know, a million in revenue, but there was this sense of like, yeah, but that's, who knows how long that's going to go for. Like, you mm. know, that's just you and your imagination and like, you know, you're just fucking around on the internet. You're like, how many that's zeros, amazing. how many zeros do I need to prove that this is real? <laughs> exactly. And um, what happened was he was on a conference call back home in Australia and Willow pulled off her nappy and weed on the floor and he had to just like keep on talking and I remember thinking every mum's done that right I'm sure and I just went I earn more than your boss like why are we doing this and it was just kind of a bit of an ultimatum just to say look you promised me when we got together you promised me we were going to like have this amazing life and this legacy and I'm like dude now's the time like shit I'll get off the pot I really was that like dude this is just not cool um and so from then um you know a lot of things changed so like our kids never remember Mark having a job ever because it's from you know from from George's birth and you know he's almost seven and god how is he seven <laughs> yeah I know you'll be seven really soon wow so and then I think Mark's personality, he just is a doer. And so then he would be like, you know, well, I, he started cooking when I was pregnant and then he just never really stopped. And then, you know, he just takes responsibility for things. And so our, 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 our roles really have shifted. That being said, like he works in the business as well, um, doing launching and marketing. And for a while he did our Facebook ads and things like that. So it's not like he's just, you know, just a house husband, but you know, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, he really does take over so many parts of our life, which frees me up a lot to do creative work. And that's not easy to work together. But also, you know, just there was that ego thing of just going, well, why are you leaving your dream career to work for your wife's blog? Like what? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the blog. Mm -hmm. So relationships, I think, you know, is such a huge part of this. And when there's anything there that where that friction is, it seems like everything's going great. And then there's friction in your relationship and then everything is shit and nobody can focus on anything because you've got to sort it out. So I think that 
whatever it takes to maintain that harmony always becomes the most important thing on the day, doesn't it? Because what a nightmare, especially if you're living and working with each other. Like we have a similar setup. Phil has his own business, but we're just together all the time, right? We just both yeah. work from home. You're having lunch together, walking the dog together. And that is, I think, a huge part of, of what, you know, makes life either great or really, really, really horribly, awfully, like terrible. So that that's a big challenge. I well, think I'm really honest about that too. It's sometimes it is horrible, you know, and it got to the point too where he was getting resentful, like about house stuff. And so he'd be like, well, you need to also do cooking or you need to also help. And I went, how about neither of us do that? Like, how about we hire somebody? To we, are, we got to the same point. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this brings me to the next point, which is a quality I think you and I share because we, gabbed about it a bit in Australia it is this relentless expectation and pursuit of excellence (laughs) so let's talk about housework for a second because then you're like oh my god the dishwasher or literally anything ever how clothes are folded or how things are put on a bookshelf or whatever so correct me if I'm wrong but I think you suffer the same affliction of a sort of relentless pursuit and and an inner drive for excellence which you will obviously apply to yourself and everybody around you what does that look like for you so I'm a Virgo but also I think too a lot of that perfectionism came from me as a kid of not having a lot of control and wanting things to be a little bit more stable or predictable Mm -hmm. and um so I remember actually one of the fights we used to have like very early on like as in in our 20s I would get really upset about the dishwasher stacking like to the point of tears and it sounds really weird but and now I realized too you know I had undiagnosed ADHD OCD runs in my family as well but it really was like I couldn't control anything Mm-hmm. and especially in my 20s where you know Mark was kind of doing well in the corporate world and I was trying to figure out my thing and I just felt like I don't know and but it would always just concentrate in like how could you not see that this is the best way to stack the dishwasher like how can you not see this and you can see how upset it makes me how could you not do this one thing for me it's so weird because I didn't care about anything else it was just this dishwasher thing that was really like disturbing to me and then (laughs) I don't know why but as I had more things that were in my control and I was you know feeling like you know well I'm succeeding here I that sort of stuff became less and less important and I realized too when I was hiring people to help at home I was like it's not how I would do it but it's done and that's okay and it only comes up every now and again, like at Christmas time when my housekeeper's not here and I go, oh, where there's no clean underwear in my drawer, like with the underwear fairy. <laughs> fairy and so then, then I'm like, oh, I should do some laundry. And I go down into the laundry and I spend two hours and I start to go, this isn't the best system. I can't believe, I can't believe that everyone in this house thinks that this is an okay way to do laundry. <laughs> And then I start Googling, like, what's the best laundry thing? And then I order things. <laughs> and then it becomes this whole thing. And then I go, I get really upset about it. And then I start to go, this has been done this whole time. And, I even... <laughs> and then I just, I snap out of it. And then I go, not, not my problem. So that's hard. The thing that's been hard, I think, in the last couple of years is Mark has come more and more into the business. And I also, the last um, probably two years, I have had to juggle a lot of things. I haven't been able to really dive deep into each of those areas and really create that excellence. And so things slip through the cracks, you know, spelling mistakes slip through the cracks, which mortifies me so much. And I go, you know what team? Everyone's going to think that I'm the idiot who can't spell. (laughs) They're going to think that I don't know how to spell. None of your faces are on this. None of you. see your name in this email. (laughs) Exactly. And um, so that stuff really annoys me. And, but also it's sometimes things where I just go, you know what, that is on me. They did send it to me, but I didn't have the bandwidth to do it. And I'm actually refreshing a course at the moment that's like five years old. And I'm seeing spelling mistakes in there and the handout and things. And I'm like, 
before, but I'm like, <laughs> it's still on me, but it's just that stuff that I think is really frustrating of the lack of control, but also it is my face on everything. Um, so, you know, I have those tendencies and I think it's, again, you know, it runs in my family, OCD runs in my family, anxiety runs in my family, but I do see that as like a lot of creative people in my family didn't have outlets for their creativity and so when you don't I do think it turns inwards a little Mm -hmm. bit Mm -hmm. and you start to nitpick things or you start to like my auntie for example I remember her she was very similar and she would be just like the sponge the sponge and I think she always seemed to be very angry about stuff and I get that now but also I think she just didn't have an outlet for her creativity. Same with my mom, you know, and and so and I remember my mom used to always be think funny about cushions and like rugs. She'd be like, don't touch my rug, don't like she'd always straighten pictures and things like that. And I think again, she just had no outlet for that. And so I always have to just watch like, am I uh, am I pushing my creativity out or am I trying to control everything and going mm-hmm. in? and um control trying to control mark or trying to control the kids so i have to watch that a lot it's interesting because i know we both work with archetypes you work with the sacred money archetypes and i use archetypes in branding and i think an archetype we both share is a creator archetype and what's really interesting about it is when you hear creator you're like oh i'm so creative and i like to make things and but actually when you get into the motivation of the creator it is purely about control over chaos through control over aesthetic or control over a lot of other things but like when you were talking when we were having conversations about creativity and excellence I was like oh you're you're so a creator like me and it's like the pursuit of the vision above all things but there's all this shadow side of that of this I think you've explained it beautifully where that creativity sort of turns inward and you're like I must control all the things and if they're not in control then I am panicked and I feel like shit and nothing is right and nobody's good enough which I think kind of leads me into the next point which is you know one of the things I really have enjoyed exploring over my career and not enjoyed exploring because I had to for personal growth as an entrepreneur is this faster, better, more culture. And one of the conversations Phil and I have all the time is like, how are you going to know when enough is enough? Like you get the bigger house and then the bigger house and then the bigger house and then the more money. And obviously there's, you know, this incredible culture in, you know, the online world of like, you're a million dollar business and then you're a $10 million and like, it's never enough. How do you, like, what have you struggled with in your own life with that faster, better, more. And how do you step out of it when you're like, actually the good life is about being present and we do have enough. What does that look like for you? You're like me, you're never (laughs) satisfied. This is a big issue for me, for sure, because Mark's mom was over a couple months ago and we were sitting and I was like, I'm going to do this and this. And she was like, and this is the first time actually where I felt like she really saw me, like Mm. she's known me for a long, long time. She goes, your brain just never stops, does it? And she didn't say it in a critical way, which I think she has in the past. She was just like, wow. Like she was like in awe of you. Yeah. She was just like, I can't imagine what that's like. And even when we moved here, I remember thinking, huh, ever going to come up for sale because it's closer to closer to the ocean right by like six houses <laughs> and, and I remember thinking oh be interesting if that comes up for sale one time and so there is that sense of not being satisfied and something I'm really trying to explore at the moment and I haven't even talked about this publicly yet but we are putting our house on the market and it's because again I, I was like that was my dream to live right by the ocean and then I was like it's actually not my next dream. Mm. And it was a really like, um, I realized there was a couple of things around that. One, there was the ego of it, of going, wow, look what we've built. This Mm. is so cool. I mean, I just have to say, it's a fucking gorgeous house. It is an incredible location. So take a look on, it is amazing. You should see it at the moment because we're staging it for sale. And I'm like, I don't even know how you could stage that house more. Like it's no, so beautiful. <laughs> it's epic. It's epic. 
because someone comes in with fresh eyes and they go, oh, look at this little thing you can put here, here and here. And so I'm like, holy shit, why didn't we do that? It's always um, the way when you sell your house that right before you sell it, you're like, why didn't we do this? <laughs> oh my God, absolutely. But like all those little bits that they put everywhere that you would never have with kids anyway, just like oh, little bars for no reason and a little like yeah. thing. But anyway, Three feet off the ground. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. She did this um, like little wooden table next to the bath with like a little um oh yeah like plate on it and then a little um glass on tile yeah, glass thing with <laughs> salts in it and I was like that's going straight up here and at the moment we're literally like don't touch those towels don't use that thing and like I've bought probably 50 cushions I reckon in the last week so what's come up for me around that is going wow people are really invested in that dream but that's a dream from like 10 years ago for me. And so I'm ready to move on from that dream. But there's like that ego death a little bit of going, yeah. oh. and what's really fun about this though, it is actually a bigger house, which I know you will laugh about, but more space for my puppies, but more privacy, which I think you'll get from being yeah. here. It's a very mm-hmm. public house. Yeah. But also the ocean is just constantly like driving. And I think that's made us a little bit like, like feng shui wise the energy of that exactly and so I thought I'm gonna have to really message this out which is so ridiculous right because it's a private decision but I'm like I'm gonna have to really message this because people are people gonna think that like my business is not doing well and that's why I'm selling my house or that Mark Mm. and I divorced and because we live in this small town right I had um I had a movie with a friend yesterday and I said I've got really big news um you know we're we're selling and she goes well um, her husband was mowing lawns in the area and he saw a skip and he, he came outside our house and he was like, geez, Mark, I've got a skip. And then, you know, like our agent has already got calls because someone saw her walking into our house. And I was like, <gasps> you know. Oh my God. <laughs> from here to the farm to declutter. And someone's like, there was a removalist fan outside that house. But, and that's the kind of town we live in. And so we're moving to a house that has none of that, like, you know, well, sorry, when I'm saying moving, we're in negotiation still. This hasn't solved. Yeah, but we know you, Denise. When you want it, you make it happen. But this is really funny, right? This is what happened. I sent this house that we're in the process of buying to a friend about, you know, two months ago. And I said, you should go see this house. And she goes, oh, are you buying it? And I said, no, no, I'm sending it to you to dream build so you can go see it. And she goes, oh, no that's your house. Like I see you living in it. And I was like, (laughs) and then, so it just kept on, you know, coming up and I went, said to Mark, and it was literally just before Christmas. I said, do you want to just go see this house just to see? And he goes, again, the puppy, (laughs) the puppy. So we went to see it and I went, it was so much better than the videos and the photos. And I was like, oh my God. And I, I actually really felt when we drove up and it's like a winding driveway, so there's no passing traffic. I went, oh, this is home. And it was just like a real, like, it was just like, oh, this is home. And we came home and we started packing. And my mom's friend was here and she goes, what's going on? And my mom said, oh, they've made a decision to move. And so they're packing. And they're like, she goes, oh, have they bought a house? And she goes, no, they've just started packing. So <laughs> we literally started packing and it was, you know, 22nd of December or something. And we've just made that decision, but I can, and I've, I've already worked through it with my kinesiologist. I've worked through it with all my things because I know I'm going to have to message it. And I sound, I know it sounds really strange, but I had to go through that whole process of emotions around this. Can I offer you my perspective on that decision? Cause you messaged me that house and you like, because I had just seen the house that you live in now, which is beautiful. It is gorgeous. It's so funny because when I saw it, I was like, oh yeah. And my immediate thinking about it wasn't about like more bigger, you know, it was about like, that's a house your kids become teenagers in. That's a house that you have space. And I think the big thing for me was the grass and the greenery. Like you have so much concrete and a courtyard garden and like, you know, concrete house and like I can from, you know, what I do, which is a little bit of biophilia, which is like, you know, having more nature connection in your living space and your life. And then certainly the color psychology stuff, like 
I get it because especially with like the gray of the concrete that's all around you, that's actually emotionally quite draining. All that gray can be. Yeah. And, and I, so fight for the blue front doors. Like I really had to fight <laughs> like Mark, the all male architecture team. Like, yeah. And yeah. when you get into like the personality type stuff, like you will have different personality types with different aesthetics. There's a lot of what I would call starshine personality, which is that super clean, super minimal, beautiful, cutting edge design. And that's not your personality type um, from what I would assume. And so that's really interesting. But the second thing is like, it's, there's these huge spacious like windows and doors, right? There's all this light and there's all this much more like the Rose Farm, this connection with nature with green with light and I was like I get it and my first feeling was much more about that was about that kind of that next step going from that urban to that and my my sort of assumption was around it was oh well clearly she's enjoyed having the rose farm so much she wants more nature more of the time at home and space for these kids to become teenagers so I think it's really interesting like you know, as you think about messaging it and what, you know, like obviously because you are a public figure and because people feel entitled to have very strong opinions about your personal choices, you know, I'm sure that is a whole roller coaster that, you know, could potentially follow that decision. But that was my first impression of the choice. Yeah. Well, the other thing for us, and this wasn't the primary decision, this wasn't the primary maker for the decision is financial freedom. You know, like we have been, we were so lucky at the time to buy and build this house was such a massive financial stretch for us. It was the biggest sale in this area for the land. It was like an old apartment building. It was a really big deal. And we were like, we have overcapitalized and that's Mm. fine. And And that's what you do to get these big assets. Yeah, exactly. But the market in the last couple of years has been insane. And then basically this area, like our house is increasing value by a million dollars a year, basically. So we'll double our money and we're moving only 15, 20 minutes away, but in a much quieter area. And also like we'll be, we'll be completely financially free. And so again, that wasn't the primary decision. It was we wouldn't have done that for any any house. Mm. We wouldn't have because then that would have felt like a compromise. Mm-hmm. It would have felt like, oh, we're doing this because we just, you know, a want step to back. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And so when we saw the house, we we're like, oh, this is just this and. And the other thing too, because we actually recently sold our combi, and I again, I have to, I'm going to be messaging this because <laughs> my blue combi was such a big part of my brand for me. And it started in 2012 when I hired a combi for a photo shoot. And it just I remember that photo shoot. Was that the one on the beach? Yes. And it was just like, I got styled with a stylist who, Naomi, I had, you know, a professional photographer. Like, it just felt like such a line in the sand of like, oh my God, this is where I'm going. There's no going back. (laughs) No, exactly. And then Mark and I would walk along this beach, dream building about living here. And one day we saw this combi parked with a for sale sign on it. And we went, oh my God, like, let's buy a combi van, you know, and we called. And it's a combi van from here with this (laughs) provenance. Right. And it's blue. And I went, oh my God, we have to own a combi. And so we called the guy and he said, look, it's been sold, but my dad makes combis. Like he restores combis. Would you like to just come and visit him? And, you know, you can have your own. So we went and he basically has this combi graveyard and he was like, which one do you want me to restore? And we found one that was like a 1974, it was right-hand drive, which is really cool because that's what we do in Australia. We're on the right-hand side and it was an automatic, which meant I could drive it, you know, and that's pretty rare because a lot of those antique cars, you know, they're left-hand drive and they're freaking, you know. And they're the worst manuals ever. They're so challenging. And so we went, oh my God, let's do this. And it took like three years to restore this combi, right? Because this guy is so in demand and he would, he'd be like, oh, I've got knee surgery. And we'd be like, ah. <laughs> and like, and also it's a zombie combi because he's like, oh, I need, you know, that door's rusted. So I need to wait until I find a door that matches that door. And we're like, fuck, you know, and we, we got all, we had to choose all the leather for the seats and all this kind of stuff, right? So I've owned this combi for a couple of years. 
I've literally driven it one time in that whole time. And it was living at the farm and every, and, and I was like the most expensive photography prop ever. (laughs) Right. And I was in Queensland, a different state. And I thought I'm going to hire a combi and it cost me $200 to hire a combi. And meanwhile, every time, because the combi doesn't get driven very much, you know, and it's an old, old car, every month something would break down on it, right? So then it would, he'd have to call the combi guy again. He's got 50 combis ahead of you. He's like, oh, I need a part from freaking Germany. And so (laughs) it it actually became not a negative, but I was like, I am responsible for this freaking car. This is not Um, joy anymore. Not joy, exactly. And on top of that, I've got a, you know, 1970. No, 1964 Chevy that also breaks down all the time. Got a um, <laughs> Mark bought me a 1970 something uh, M baby blue MG, which we also sold recently because again I couldn't even drive that one. Um, <laughs> Thanks, babe. <laughs> you know, and again it would break down, and like you'd turn the engine on, and it would you'd just be like, oh fuck, there's no airbags in any of them, no proper seatbelts. <laughs> so I was like, the all these things were weighing on my mind. The other part of that was living by the beach, everything breaks down because of the soul. Yeah. And so I was like, you know, trying to open the windows and the windows are like, you don't know, my, um, <laughs> the keypads, you had to replace the electronics every like two years. So I was like, I just felt burdened by all this stuff. Mm. And um, so I said to Mark again, I was like, can we just start letting go of some of these things? And as soon as, because he's such a good action taker, he had sold that MG convertible within three days. And same thing with the combi, he put a little sign on it and we put a ridiculous price on it. We put 50K on it. And because I was like, it's not a fire sale. I don't need to get rid of it. I just don't want it on my balance sheet mentally and emotionally anymore. Mm -hmm. And so this young couple bought it and you could tell like it was such a big deal from like it was for us. Mm. But they were like, we are going to use this every weekend. And like, you could tell like they, it was a massive big deal. And they were like, we've been looking at all these other ones and then, you know, this one was more expensive, but like, it's a right hand drive and it's automatic. And I was like, I I said hi to them. I didn't even say goodbye to the combi. I was just like, cool. I'm so happy for you guys. I'm so thrilled. Okay. See ya. And then they took, and I was like, that is going to be the best thing for them. And they're going to love it. And for me, it was just another thing I had to take care of. And I feel the same way about the house now. When the realtor came over, she said, you know what? You're selling this at a good time because in three years' time, you would have had to replace all of these things before you put it on the market. And I'm like, I'm letting it go. Brilliant. I'm just like, so I think um, sometimes people are a bit shocked at how detached I am from things. Again, especially it's like, well, it was a big emo- emotional purchase for you. And I'm like, I'm so... I don't care. I just want my freedom. 